Please be seated. Good morning. I hope you are having a blessed morning so far, and I hope that will continue. Um, I'm reminded on Mother's Days in, in, in preaching and as a minister that um, of one particular Mother's Day years ago, we were in Drummonds, Tennessee, uh, kind of starting out in ministry. Well, no, I've been a minister for a little while, but uh, starting out as in, in senior pastor ministry. And uh, Drummonds is, a, I don't know if anybody knows where Drummonds is. Some people usually do, if, especially if you played golf at Forest Hill Golf Course. It's like one of the only things in Drummonds anybody knows of. And it's a small little town, about 45 minutes from here, about northwest of here. And uh, in fact, when the district superintendent called and, t and told us where we were going, said, Andy, uh, you're going to Drums, Tennessee, go serve at Poplar Grove. We said, I said, oh, it's so great. We're so excited. Hung up the phone and said, Molly, go get a map. I don't know where we're going. Uh, and uh, but we were absolutely blessed and loved it there. Now, the choir, uh, from my memory, it was uh, all women, about seven of them, seven, eight of them. And uh, they were a strong country women. And, uh, that uh, beautiful women, but they're strong country women. Over, uh, that uh, and they uh, and we would start before the service downstairs in the basement. The basement was just right under the sanctuary, and you kind of we process up and up the stairs and into the thing. So we gather there down at the bottom. And one Sunday, I made one of the biggest mistakes of my life. And uh, one of them, see, my tradition was, or what I, my habit was is that I wouldn't wear a robe every Sunday. I would wear a robe on liturgical days uh, or liturgical times during Lent, during Advent, and special Sundays and maybe some communion Sundays just to kind of give emphasis to what is happening. And um, so one of the ladies asked me, it was Mother's Day, and I said, Andy, why don't you have your robe on? And I made the mistake of saying, no, I just wear it on special days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, even to this day, there are some that will not let me live that down. Uh, and so the next Mother's Day, I guarantee I had a robe on. And uh, it was cleaned and pressed and ready to go. And, um, but I don't typically uh, preach uh, Mother's Day sermons. I'm not, I don't do well with starting with a topic and kind of get going from there. And, and so it, Mother's Day is tremendously special. But uh, it's not a Mother's Day uh, sermon per se, uh, but uh, maybe it informed some of my thoughts in, uh, during this time. Uh, so let us now pray, and, and then we will uh, uh, read our scripture. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the time you give us together, and thank you for your word. I pray that your word, as it goes out, will go deep within us, will change us, transform us, and prepare us to go into this world. In your name we pray. Amen. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. This is the word of God for the people of God. 
This passage, uh, the context, some of the context of this short little passage uh, is given to us in verse 6 at the end and informs the rest because he's saying, I'm telling you this, all that we will cover, I'm telling you this, and this is what you are to rejoice in, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So he's speaking to a people who are going through trials, through tribulations, and going through possibly persecution, going through uh, just struggles. Their lives have been turned upside down by Christ. Their lives have been turned upside down by Christianity, by coming to know Christ, by being born again, as it tells us, by all that they are doing, by their, uh, uh, their community of faith. Their lives have been turned upside down, uh, and mostly for the good, but Presently, it's causing trials and tribulations. It's causing conflict with the world. It's causing conflict with their culture, with their society. It's causing conflict with those around them, and they are struggling. He does not lay it out here what those struggles are, but knows there are trials. So I'm reminded I'm really kind of coming possibly to my end of Coach Horton cross-country stories uh, that because... I'm going to have to start making things up pretty soon or just rehashing the old ones, which I very well might. Uh, but uh, so I was kind of going through, what, cross guy got it. They're expecting it now. Uh, I started this habit. And so, but one hit me uh, that uh, I don't believe I've told you a, a, a tip. Here's a running tip that Coach, coach gives us. He was my cross, in case you don't know, if you're new with us, he's our, my cross country coach back in the uh, heyday, uh, 30, 40, long time ago, and uh, when I used to run. But Coach Horton would tell us this, and he would prepare us, because you see, there was this race that we ran. Uh, it was in uh, Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and so it was East Tennessee, very hilly. In fact, uh, the race uh, was the first half. This is a three-mile race. The first half was pretty much completely straight uphill and, uh, to the top, to this observation place and then once you got up there you turn around and you go downhill and even the downhill was hard because it was so steep and it would wear you out and so we were preparing for this coach would do anything he could to prepare us for this he'd find the worst hills he could find in memphis and we just run them and run them and run them and run them but he told us this when we got to the course and we were walking the course he said when you get to the top and he actually, he applied this to uh, all things, not only when you get to the top of a hill uh, any time during a race, but anything in the race that, that has particularly slowed you down or may even discourage you. He says, at that point, uh, this is what I want you to do. When you get to the top of the hill, I want you to go, I think he said 100 feet, he probably said 100 yards, I don't know, 100 feet. He says, I want you to sprint. And uh, now you're at the top of this hill, you are dying. You are just fading your pace has gotten really really slow not everybody's has he says but when you get to the top i want you to sprint and this is the reason he says once you sprint for a hundred feet for for a good distance and he's in fact i'll be up here watching you making sure you do it and uh thanks coach and so uh because once you do that what happens if you at the top of hills is your pace is slowed down and you're tired, so chances are your pace is going to stay that way, even going downhill, even going say It's going to stay slow and tired, and you may possibly be discouraged because of how tired. A lot of things can be going on within you. He says, but if you sprint, one, you're going to realize you actually do have something left. And he says, and it's going to reset your pace. 
uh, and you'll kind of fall back into your normal natural pace that we worked on and all these good things will happen and it and it will also freak out your competitors because uh, they're gonna be like wow what and uh, and it'll discourage them as well that's not part of our message today we're not trying to discourage our competitors we have not. Uh, just the positives uh, so, but that's where we are so we're in the midst of struggles and trials he's saying this is what I want you to do this is the plan and Peter in many ways is telling us the same he's saying in the midst of trials in the midst of struggles and the, the times in which we're discouraged the time in which we've been just running so hard hill after hill after hill and we think I just can't lift my head up any longer I can't look forward any longer. I can't uh, get through these days. I don't know how I'm going to get through these days, how I'm going to push through. I'm overwhelmed by my situation, by my scenario, uh, whatever is happening around me. This is where we go, right here. Uh, this is the hope that we're talking about. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's reminding us who it is, who is in charge. First and foremost, he's reminding us who is in charge and who is the one whose, uh, whose hands we are in? It remind, does remind me of the story that my mother told me was when I was two. And uh, uh, so obviously I don't remember. I had uh, spinal meningitis, H flu meningitis, and it came on quickly as it does. And uh, took me to the doctor's office. They said immediately get him to the hospital. And I kind of went to a coma on the way to the hospital, she said, and was out of it. And just a traumatic time for them, obviously for me, but I don't remember any of it. But for them, it was a traumatic time. And she told me my uncle uh, continually told her uh, really a simple statement uh, that we would often tell, but it just stuck with her. Actually, she told me this my entire life, uh, that she says, he just told me that you're in the palm of his hands. She said that was, that was the, the image that she just could never get out of her mind after that, that, that kept her going through. That's kind of what we have here is blessed be the God our, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that we're in his mind. This is what all else here we read is defined by. According to his great mercy, and that is the unearned love that he has for us. His mercy means that we are forgiven. His mercy means that he loves us. His mercy means that... Uh, that he has all else here that he is about to tell us, the benefits, the, uh, the results of the resurrection that is given to us, all are free gifts of grace that he has given to us. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Now that phrase, unfortunately, has been used and used and used so much that either it just has become somewhat meaningless to us at times, uh, or just synonymous with uh, joining a church or, or synonymous with all kinds of things. Sometimes it's been uh, brought too much into uh, kind of religious, political life and so much that it, for some people you hear born again, you're thinking, oh, I just don't like that phrase. It's a phrase that Jesus brought in. It's, it's a term Jesus brought in. So let us, let the scriptures define that for us and not just uh, others that we may hear that when it doesn't ring true because it is an absolute necessity for us this born again it's a it's a recognition that we're not in and of ourselves ready for Christ something has to take place within us from God for us 
It's a very potent word and phrase for those who first heard it. Because the Gentiles who would have heard this letter from Peter and heard that phrase, born again, they would realize that they were, they thought, and sometimes treated as so on the outside. Because the Jews who were uh, Christians and who were Jews, they felt that they were born into the family of God as Jews. And that ethnically, that, that uh, they were, uh, and religiously, they were in, born into the family of God. And those who accepted Christ, uh, they were just, that was the path they believed. And we're right. That was the path along the way. They went from Judaism to Christianity, that Jesus was just the fulfillment of all things, which was true. But they felt that they were just born into all that. And in fact, some of the Jews, some of the Christian Jews at the time, they would try and force non-Jews to have to convert first to Judaism and then to Christianity. They would place this extra burden upon them before they could come into the fold, and it was continually taught that is absolutely not the case. That they're not uh, to cause themselves to be born again into Judaism, into to a new family, and then into Christianity, that God was starting us all afresh. We're all coming in in the same way to the kingdom of God that he was starting us afresh to be born again, to become new creations, to become new people in Christ. And this is what we were born again into. So it defines us for us. First, well, he mentions three things. And uh, that born again is a present reality rooted in the past, that we'll talk about in guaranteeing our future. So first, to a living hope. We're born into a, a living hope. Now, I often use that word hope in many, many different circumstances, and we think of hope really now has kind of been defined in a, a more watered-down way. I really hope Tennessee finally gets it together this year for football. Don't, never mind. Uh, and we hope Ole Miss does pretty well, too. Uh, I'll give you that. Uh, that you know, I hope, but that when I say that, there's kind of a, they're going to break my heart once again. Uh, I really hope that uh, it doesn't rain every day this week. I really hope, that's what we usually use is the word hope. Like, I really kind of wish. I really kind of strongly, strongly prefer. Uh, hope in the scripture is a whole different word. It's an assurance. It's a trust of, of, it is a present confidence, here I wrote it down, a present confidence and assurance in the future promises of God. Hear that again. It is the present confidence and assurance in the future promises of God. So it is that which we can absolutely count on. That is what hope really is. When we hear it in the scriptures, we're born into a living hope. A living hope, not just uh, one word or one promise. It is a living hope means moving and continually uh, cycling, continually providing hope for us that impacts every si single situation and is available to us in every single trial, struggle, joy, victory, everything. The living hope for us that we're born into is rooted and grounded, it tells us, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When all else 
see, everything seemed uh, impossible. When everything seemed defeated. When Jesus died on the cross and was buried and everything that Jesus had promised seemed to have gone away and faded away. When it seemed as if evil had won, Jesus rose from the dead. And Jesus was victorious. That which he promised happened. He defeated death. He defeated uh, sin. He broke the chains of all things. All that restricts us, all that prevents us from spending eternity in the presence of our Holy Father, all that holds us back, all that, uh, that keeps us down today has been, set, has been broken. So through the resurrection of Jesus, based in that, is a living hope for us. If Jesus can do that, we know he can carry us through today and tomorrow and the next day. If Jesus can rise from the dead, then, sh then we know he can forgive us for any sin that is in our life. If Jesus can be risen from the dead, then we know that he can break us free from any sin that, that binds us that we can't seem to get past. If Jesus is raised from the dead, he can do all things. So he's caused us to be born again to a living hope, to an inheritance that is imperishable. So the living hope is the today, and the inheritance is the tomorrow. That which we count on, that's which we know is coming, that's which we know and has been secured for us, that which should give us the absolute confidence in all that we do and go through. It's an inheritance that is imperishable, that is undefiled, unfading, that's kept in heaven for us. We're born again, and as I said, it's to the living hope, we're born again uh, into a new kingdom. We hear, uh, we will we'll hear in the coming weeks that Wizway will preach uh, through a series on the kingdom of God and building the kingdom of God and understanding more about what that's about out of Matthew 7. Uh, we realize that, that we have a dual citizenship. There's a buddy of mine who uh, was from, is from Tanzania, lives in Tanzania. And, and um, one of the first things I asked him he was in seminary with me uh, as I studied towards a doctorate. I always, you hear me, I say study towards a doctorate. I didn't get it, so you don't have to call me doctor like Wade. Uh, but, uh, but I studied towards a doctorate and, um, with uh, my, my buddy Majimbe. And, uh, and we got to be really good friends. And, and I asked him this because I've always been fascinated. I've always heard about the cows. Uh, evidently, when they get married, and it was the case in Tanzania too, that uh, when they get married, uh, the husband has to offer a certain number of cows uh, on, uh, to the father of the bride. You say, that's sick. Uh, that's not a good, that's their tradition. That's where they are now. And uh, so I was asking about these cows and um, that was really true because I knew he had a daughter who was of Marian age or soon to be. And, uh, and so I said, all right, what determines these things? And there's all kinds of different societal things that determines how many cows. And, uh, and when we were there, uh, Grace, his wife, uh, got pregnant and had their, uh, their, uh, had, a, had their baby here in the States. Uh, Gladness was her name and a uh, sweet little baby. And, um, and I, I kind of 
gave them a hard time because I said, what, you're just trying to get more cows so she'll have dual citizenship. Uh, and he denied it, but I really uh, swore that he was just trying to uh, get an extra cow here and there because uh, I know the American citizenship, an extra citizenship would add to that price. Really, that was a long story for a very, very short point. Uh, <laughs> but I liked it. Uh, and so, well, so we're born into a, a new kingdom. Uh, I didn't even tell that one at 830. Uh, uh, dual citizenship, we, uh, that we have a new belonging. We're born into uh, a path to holiness. He who began a good work in, in us, we hear in the scriptures, he who began a good work in us promises to complete it upon the day of Jesus Christ. The day we are born again, the growth begins. Our life in Christ begins. There's this path towards holiness. We are not holy. We are not perfect. We are not finished. We are not complete. We know that. And if you look around and sometimes you think others are or are closer than you, no, they just have a better shelf. Uh, or they're just pretending better. They don't see as much as you do. We are all uh, incomplete. But we're born into this path of growth toward holiness. Holiness, it just means completion. We're in this path towards holiness like our Father is holy. Our Father in heaven is holy. Born into this path of holiness of love so that we love others in full. Yet we fall short and that's why we lean upon the resurrection and upon the, the death of Christ for our forgiveness. But we are guaranteed we're on that path. We're born into a ministry of others. All of a sudden our life should be about others more than it is ourselves in the model of Jesus and the sacrifice in the uh, example that Jesus gave for us we're born into a life of purpose our purpose changes N.T. Wright says this he says this is God's purpose to set people aside from other uses so that they can be signposts to this new reality this new world now, when he says set people aside from other uses, doesn't mean we stop doing these things. If you're an accountant, you continue to be an accountant. If you are retired, you can continue to be retired. If you're a student, don't continue for too long if I'm paying for it uh, to be a student. But continue uh, to be that. Continue where you are unless God changes that. But your purpose where you are changes. The reason you are where you are, wherever that may be, is to be a signpost to the kingdom of God, a signpost to the new reality, the new world, the inheritance, the, new, the living hope, to be a signpost that, so that when people see you, they know what direction to go. They know you're pointing them to Christ in the context where you are found each and every day. We are born into a new purpose that should define all that we do and all that we are. And again, to an inheritance that's kept in heaven for, for us. And then, and finally, for a salvation. He said, kept in heaven for you. Then he explains who we are and what's happening with us. He says, who by God's power, this verse 5, who got by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Who, are be, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Our responsibility is the faith. Having faith that God will do what God promises to do. 
God's responsibility is to be powerful. God's responsibility is to secure that salvation. God's responsibility is to complete us. God's responsibility is to say, our responsibility is to have faith in him to do that. Have faith that when he calls us to go, that we go. Have faith to follow him when he calls us to follow him. To have faith that he actually does have our future in his hands, regardless of how hard today may be. Our job is to have faith and lean and trust in God's power and all that he is. And then we're back to verse 6. In this we rejoice. In these things we find our joy. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So let us receive that gift of joy that is being offered to us. Joy that is rooted and grounded in something far greater than today's circumstances. It's rooted and grounded in the love and grace of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have done all things necessary so that we may be born again, so that we may enter into your kingdom, so that we may receive the inheritance that you have set aside for us that is far greater than we can imagine. So I pray that this morning that we would receive your grace. And if even for the first time in our lives that we would say yes to the invitation that you give to us to be born again into the living hope that you have provided for us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.